Well, good, good morning, everyone. <laughs> I should preach the whole sermon at that volume. Nobody would fall asleep. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Lord, we do owe all to you. Father, I thank you for your mercy in my life. I thank you for the mercy that you offer us in Jesus. Lord, we, uh, we bear our own guilt. We are fallen and we are fallen far. And we find ourselves guilty before you in our own flesh. And I praise you and thank you that you did not leave us there, but you sent your son that we might have mercy that we might be made right with you because of your action. Lord, that is, that is mercy. And because of you and because of that, it is well with our soul. Lord, this morning as we come to your word, we will address some difficult topics. But they are topics that you speak of, topics that are true, <clears throat> topics that are important to us. And so I pray for your blessing. I pray that by your spirit you would... Help us to listen and help us to hear from you what you have for us this morning. I pray that you would work in our hearts. May we be attentive and may we be responsive. I pray that you would use your word to speak to us. We look forward to sitting at your feet and hearing what you have for us. And we pray that you would move, dear God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25, and right now we are beginning a new series, and it's a series called Gospel Essentials, and uh, it's really going to be about 12 key elements that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. It's going to take us all the way up through Resurrection Sunday, and so we're going to focus on key elements of the gospel, and actually Woody kind of kicked this off on the 3rd of January with his message on repentance. That, of course, is an essential element of the gospel and our response to it. And so we talked about uh, repentance a couple of weeks back. And so that was sort of a prelude or a, a prologue to, to what we have going on here. And, and um, so we want to focus on the gospel. That's probably a good thing to focus on, a good thing for us to know and understand, right? Uh, businesses talk about, uh, and other different organizations talk about a, a phenomenon called mission drift. Mission drift. And then basically what that means is that they, they have a stated purpose and a stated goal. And over time, they, they kind of wander from that and they end up pursuing and focusing on and majoring on and really uh, dealing with something else than what was their stated purpose, their stated mission. And so, of course, uh, that's a, uh, a distracting thing for them. Now they're accomplishing something that they didn't set out to accomplish. They're doing something different. They're off track a little bit. They've lost their effectiveness on what was their stated purpose. And so you can imagine that for a church, that would be very uh, destructive to the cause of the gospel, to the cause of the kingdom of God, um, for a church to get off that way. And so there are several ways that that can happen. Um, 
But probably the most devastating is, is, is when a church loses focus on the gospel itself. And so we don't want to do that. We want to keep our eyes fixed firmly on the gospel. We want to be talking about and we want to be uh, discussing from the pulpit and in our Sunday school classes and in our conversations uh, on Sunday mornings and at other times. We want to be talking about the gospel. We want to major on what is the gospel because that is our focus. And that's where we want to keep our eyes fixed. And we don't want to wander from that. It, it's easy as a church. We, we love one another and we love taking care of each other. And when we have needs in the body, we, we love to respond to those needs. And maybe we'll give financially or maybe we'll help out physically or, or whatever. And those things are, are crucial and they're important. But if they become a focus, then, uh, then we've started to drift a little bit. And, and uh, we don't detect that we as a church have done that, but we want to be very specific and intentional about staying on point when it comes to the gospel. And so uh, that's the purpose of this series, is that we would keep our eyes fixed on what the gospel is. Now, I should say at the outset that we're going to be talking about the gospel, and for the most of this series, we're going to be speaking from the gospels. But I wanted to talk just some elementary stuff that, that may be a little bit confusing if you haven't really thought about it before, but the difference between the gospel and the gospels, right? And we use the capital G when we talk about the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. That's when we use the capital G. We're talking about those books. They're talking about the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. Those are the gospels, all right? So if I refer to the gospels or the gospel of John, I'm talking about that book. But when I talk about gospel, small g, not because it's less important, but because it's not the name of a book. When I talk about the gospel, small g, I'm talking about the message of God's deliverance, his offer of salvation for us. We're going to talk about what those key elements are, but those elements involve the holiness of God. They involve the fallenness of man and therefore the judgment that that we deserve, the, the wrath of God, the payment, the penalty that we have. And it talks about God's offer of deliverance in Jesus for us and our response of faith. And so um, that's what the gospel is talking about, God delivering us, him offering salvation for us. And so I just wanted to make that clear because we're going to be talking about the gospel of Matthew and we're going to be talking about the gospel of salvation in Christ. And I wanted that to be clear in, in your own uh, in your own minds. For some people, uh, this next few weeks will be something of an in-depth review. It'll certainly be review. None of it will be new to, to some of you, but it's going to be a little bit more in-depth. Maybe we might dive a little bit more deeply into certain elements, certain aspects of the gospel maybe than you're used to, and it'll be a good review, and it'll kind of bring you up to speed, and, and uh, that's, our, that's our desire there, that we have our focus on that. Maybe it'll be helpful for you in your own thinking, in your own Bible reading, in your own conversation, or in your own family. Helpful for you in your own spiritual life that we stay on focus for other people, though, this, this series will uh, hopefully raise and, and hopefully answer some important questions that, uh, that you might have about eternity. What, what is eternity and, and where am I going to spend it and who's there and about being related to God or not, about knowing Christ or not, about being God's enemy or about what it means to become a Christian. So those are some big, big questions that some of you might have, or maybe you don't even know that you have them, but uh, we pray that through the course of this series that those questions will be raised and, more importantly, answered. And so at the very least, we hope that uh, by the end of this time, you will have a very clear understanding of what the gospel is and what it is not, and what it means to be a Christian and what it does not.
And so that's the, that's the introduction to our series, Gospel Essentials. And, and so we're going to be talking about some major, uh, major, uh, different elements that are big, big topics. And this week, we're going to start off talking about hell and judgment. So we thought we'd kick things off with a bang and get you all excited and, and, uh, jazzed for this. But it's an, it's a crucial and foundational place to start. And so we're going to start there. Next week, we get to talk about eternal life. So that, that'll be a little bit more, uh, maybe normal or, uh, what we're, more like what we're used to hearing. But we're going to start off this morning with something that uh, I think, uh, maybe we don't hear enough of or, or talk about enough. I know it's not one of my favorite topics, but it was one of Jesus' favorite topics. And so, uh, uh we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at what this means. You know, the term gospel, I talked about the gospel of Matthew, and I talked about the little g gospel of salvation in Christ, but gospel itself is a word that means good news. It means good news, and, and, uh, in order for the term good news to carry any real significance, we first really need to understand the gravity of the bad news. And so that's why we're starting where we're starting. You see, if, if, if someone ran up to you, if your child or someone else ran up to you and said, hey, I saw the doctor and everything's clear, no problems, right? H- how do you respond to that? Yeah, it would be like, I, I don't know. It kind of depends, right? It depends on that you stubbed your toe last night and went and saw the doctor and the doctor said everything is okay. Great. I could have told you that myself, right? You didn't need to go to the doctor, right? So if the bad news wasn't really, really bad, then the, the response to the good news isn't a big deal. If on the other hand... The bad news is really bad, right? You had, you had some physical symptoms that, that really looked like it was, it was a disease that was going to end in your early death. And then you went and saw the doctor. And then you came back and said, Hey, I saw the doctor and everything's clear. Well, the response is completely different. There's cheering, right? There's going to be a party. You know, we're going to talk about Monty will probably mention it from up here. You know, it's going to be a big deal, right? And so, the, the gravity of the bad news determines our response to the good news. And, uh, and so that's, that's why we want to start with what we're uh, starting with here. Now, you probably have noticed, noticed this in your life. It's, it's more typically true, I think, of men than of women. But a lot of men don't really want to go to the doctor lest they hear some bad news, right? They just don't want to go talk to the doctor because eh, he's going to tell me something bad, and I'd just rather not hear that. <laughs> and so they don't go, Okay. Now, that's absurd, of course, because the underlying condition about which the doctor might tell you bad news either exists or doesn't exist, regardless of the bad news that you hear from the doctor, right? And if it's there, it's certainly helpful for us to go to the doctor and find out about it than it is to put it off, and I just don't want to hear, and la, 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 right? Ignorance is bliss. Well, you know, not always, right? So that's absurd, and we, we kind of laugh at men when they say that I don't want to go, you know, because he'll just tell me something bad. And so we sort of laugh at him and, and uh, because it's absurd and that's why we do. But when it comes to spiritual things, the reality, the underlying reality of the problem exists or does not exist, regardless of whether we hear about it, regardless of whether we want to hear about it. And it is, it would be a, a terrible, horrific injustice if we didn't talk about what that underlying reality is. And so as we start this series on the gospel, gospel essentials, I want to be very clear this morning about what the condition is. I want to be very clear about what the bad news is. 
so that we know how to respond when we hear the good news. I want to I want to focus on and really hear about what that bad news is so that we have a very clear understanding of the situation. There was a book written not too long ago, Love Wins, and uh, this is this is kind of the final conclusion of the book is that really uh, hell doesn't really exist, at least not as the Bible talks about it. Uh, it's not it doesn't really exist. Well, if you take away the bad news, boy, you diminish the good news. And we don't dare do that. Jesus talked about the bad news a lot. And so that's our task this morning is to look in Matthew chapter 25 and we're going to talk about the final judgment. So if you'd open, if you haven't already to Matthew chapter 25, if you're using the pew Bible in front of you, it's going to be on page 831. And we're going to read verses 31 and following. So this is Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. Excuse me, I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, that's a heavy passage, and there's a lot of stuff there. And we could dig into that for a good long time, and I, I did for the majority of the week. And it, it's very profitable. I, I, I want to make a few comments. We're going to walk our way through it relatively quickly, and I want to make just a few comments that I hope will kind of bring out some key elements to this passage and help us understand. First of all, uh, I want us to notice that judgment is by Jesus. Judgment is by Jesus. First of all, he's equal with God. And of course, we kind of looking back after the writing of the New Testament, we kind of get that, right? But for his disciples and for those other people listening at the time, this would have been another... 
would have been kind of new information unless they had caught it before. But Jesus himself is equal with God. Look at, look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes. When the Son of Man comes. Now, we don't talk like that. And I, I hope you don't talk like that about yourself, right? Jesus, in talking, using the, using the term Son of Man, he, it often means when I come, right? The Son of Man says, what he means is I say. Right? He's talking about himself, but it's not, it's not just a normal term that everybody used. It really refers back to uh, the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, you see, when I hear son of man, I think, okay, well, his, his dad was a man, and so he's a son of a man, and so he's a man. That's the emphasis, right? But really, in the, in the Hebrew thinking, it's exactly the opposite. It's a reference back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And this is Daniel speaking, and he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so... That term son of man would make them remember, would call to mind for them this prophecy about one coming like a son of man. And by the way, he's going to ride in on the clouds and he's going to stand before the ancient of days who is God himself. And God is going to confer on him eternal glory equal with the father's. This son of man is a divine figure. And so Jesus talking about himself when he says the son of man will come. He's talking about himself, first of all. And he's talking about himself as divine, equal with God himself. Which is interesting. It's fascinating, and it ought to make you kind of do a double take a little bit, because if you read through the Gospels, Jesus didn't come born in a palace. Right? And he wasn't, he wasn't fancy and all decorated up, and he didn't have an entourage of people, you know, carrying him, or he didn't come in that kind of condition. He came lowly, born in a manger, not born apparently to greatness. And yet Jesus says, the Son of Man will come. Divine Jesus will come. Something's going to change and it's going to be different when that day of judgment comes. And if you think about where we are in the story, if you have a red-letter Bible, flip to the right a couple of pages, and you will see the red diminish. He's speaking, and this is sort of his last message And what's going to happen. Very soon, betrayal is going to happen. Arrest is going to happen. Crucifixion is going to happen. He's right at the end. He's just about to in enter into a period of severe trial, and his disciples are going to watch all this go on, and he's never looked more human than when he was stripped naked, tortured, and stuck on a cross, bleeding and dying. Never looked more human and never looked weaker. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes. That's different. And that would make you do a double take. So Jesus is equal with God. But as we continue, we see that he's also exalted, right? Verse 31 says, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he's going to come in judgment. Jesus, you know, 
meek and mild, you know, the one who, who wouldn't bruise a, you know, wouldn't break a, a, you know, crush a bruised reed, you know, when he comes again, it will be in judgment. He will be exalted and he will be lifted up and there will be a clear distinction between the way he came to serve and the way he's going to be in judgment at the end. Jesus is exalted and he is lifted up. See, he was much overlooked in this life, and it would be easy to overlook Jesus. You know, if you think back to Isaiah, and Isaiah talking about what Jesus was going to be like when he came, he was really nothing to look at. He didn't have some stately appearance, you know, so that we'd look at him, so that we'd take notice, and wow, that's really a great man as Jesus walked by. No, he was plain, and he was simple, and he was easy to overlook. But there will come a time when it will be literally impossible to overlook him because of his exalted level. So he's equal with God, he's exalted, and he's also enthroned. Right, The Son of Man is going to come in all his glory and all the angels with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne. And can you picture this? Jesus, who is about to be taken away, he's about to be tried unjustly, he's about to be accused, he's about to be convicted unjustly, he's about to be beaten and led to the cross and killed and he will come and he will sit on the throne. He will be enthroned. Not just exalted and he's not just glorious, but he will have the highest possible authority ever anywhere will be Jesus. He will be seated on the throne and he will be the one handing out judgment on all of mankind. Second, we'll see that judgment is for all. Judgment is for all. Look at verse 32 there. We see that everyone is included. It says, before him will be gathered all the nations. All the nations. Not just the Western nations. Not just some regional nations. Not just some people. But all nations will be gathered before him. Everybody will be brought before him. Here Jesus is in his glory with his angels behind him, seated on his throne and gathered before him will be all mankind. Everyone without exception. People from deepest, darkest Africa or wherever might be the farthest corner of the world in your mind. And they'll be there. So will people from the most enlightened corners of the world. They'll be there. Gathered before him. Everyone is included in this judgment. So we see that everyone is included and everyone is intermingled. Verse, the second half of verse 32 there. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Everyone is intermingled. You see, they're kind of they're kind of mixed together. It's not a very clear thing like, oh, I've got a whole bunch of the, the sheep coming from over here and I've got a whole bunch of the goats coming from over here or whatever. They're sort of mingled together, just like the different colors of your outfits are mingled together out here. You know, not everybody wearing blue is sitting over here. You're mingled together and that's what it's going to be like, all mixed together. And Jesus is going to divide out the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate those kind of people. What this, what this meant to me and what, what I think he's communicating here is that in any given group of people, you, you might very well have a mixture, sheep and goats in the same place. They, in this time, the sheep and the goats, they, they hung out together all day long. They watered in the same places. They grazed in the same places. They were all together. 
But when it came nighttime, that's when they had to make a distinction because they needed different temperatures to sleep. The sheep could withstand the cooler temperatures a little bit better than the goats could. So the shepherd had kept them all, happily kept them all together all day long. And then he had to divide them when it came nighttime because he had to protect the goats a little bit more. They needed a little bit more warmth and protection. And so he had to divide them. And, and I think about how mixed they were. And all day long they were happy together and they spent their time together. And then there came a time of day when the shepherd would come and he would divide out the difference. Those who had been happily together, ignorantly together, and what does a sheep know? I don't know. What does a goat know? I don't know. But he came and he divided them. And I think it's possible, and I think it's likely, that sheep and goats go to church together. I think it's possible that in any one gathering of, uh, of, of Christians, of churchgoers, you will have sheep and goats mixed together. And, and, and what does a sheep know? And what does a goat know? You kind of feel like, yeah, you just fit in. And this person just kind of fits in. And, and there's going to come a time when the Lord is going to say, well, there was some intermingling going on there. Let me separate out some sheep and some goats. Everyone's included and everyone's kind of intermingled together. And that's a little bit startling for us. And that's one of the more startling aspects of this message here. But finally, we see that everyone is accountable. Everyone is accountable. There's no exception. There's no exception. You don't get off because you're from a, you know, a more advanced country or a less advanced country. You, you're brought and you're held accountable. The sheep are held accountable as well as the goats. He didn't just bring them and then go through the process of dividing the goats and the sheep and then just ignore the sheep and turn to the goats and rail at them. Nor did he ignore the goats and just just praise the sheep or whatever. It wasn't just judgment on one section or another. He pronounces it on both. Everyone is accountable. Finally, judgment is final. Judgment is final. As you read through this passage, it's disturbing. And then you read it again and it gets a little bit more disturbing. It's eye-opening and that's where we are in the, when we look at this first criteria there, the, these, these criteria, they're eye-opening kind of startling and it makes you read it again it makes you wonder notice that it was eye-opening to them to the sheep and to the goats right what did the goats or what did the sheep say when when uh, the king was talking to him and he said uh, he said he said come into your inheritance and blessed and you did these things and they were like whoa when, when did we do those things they didn't they didn't even remember. It kind of caught them off guard. They weren't really thinking that way. And then the same thing with the goats. When he says, depart from me, because you didn't do these things. And they were like, when did we not do those things? They weren't thinking that way. And they, they were caught off guard. It was eye-opening to them as well. And this is, this is where this passage can be, can be difficult to understand. What I want you to see when we're looking at this... Uh, when you read through it the first time, what does it stand out to you is the determining factor. Did you treat them this way? Did you provide this for them? Did you, did you take care of poor people? That kind of seems almost to be the first, uh, the, the, the criterion when you read through it the first time. Did you take care of poor people? But I want you to notice what the real uh, criterion here is. Let's look down at verse 34. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me, etc. I was in prison, I was sick, I was in need, and you ministered to me. What's the real criterion there? What did we do with Jesus? What did we do with Jesus? And it's the same when you look at the goats. I was hungry and you didn't give me any food. And I was thirsty and you didn't give me any water. And I was in need and you did not minister to me. The real criterion comes down to what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? And that's the eye-opening one. We're going to come back to that in our conclusion. But this, this idea of judgment and this thought of the sheep and the goats both being present at the judgment and having judgment pronounced on their actions is a little bit difficult to comprehend. And so I'm going to try and make it as clear as possible. I'm going to try and help us to understand because we know about grace, don't we? We have heard about the grace of God and we've heard about forgiveness in Christ. And so what's the deal with this judgment going on? And we know that I'm not saved by my works, right? We talk about that quite a bit, as well we should. I'm not saved by my works. What's going on? Because Jesus seemed to look at their works and made a determination. So here's where I want to be clear. The evidence that is examined is our works. The evidence that is examined is our works. It's not the ultimate cause. Our works are not the ultimate cause. They are the evidence that is looked at. So the king looks at the evidence for the sheep. And he says, I see evidence of you doing these things. Therefore, you are blessed and enter into your inheritance. And he turns to the goats. I'm sorry, you guys are on this side. You get the bum, bum rap for the day, but Jesus said it. I'm just using it. He turned to the goats and he said, I, I'm looking at the evidence, which is the things you've done. That evidence tells me what the underlying truth is. You do not know me. And so depart from me, you cursed. So that's what's going on here. It's not that he's saying, well, I added up your works and they made the grade. You're good to go. I added up your works and you guys stunk. So you're out of here. No, he's looking at the evidence He's looking at the underlying heart based upon the works that come forth. What happens is that a person who trusts in Christ, a person who really is a Christian, they have a change of heart, which leads to a change of lifestyle. It's not that they have a change of heart and then really are gung-ho and are just going to make it happen. And so they, they, they meet the grade. They work hard enough to meet the grade to finish the deal or whatever. That's not it. The Bible talks about a new heart that is given, a heart of flesh that he gives to the sinner in place of the heart of stone that was unresponsive. And that heart of flesh beats for God and responds to God. And so when you see Jesus in need, you respond without even thinking about it. You respond in obedience to what God is doing. And so you can look at the evidence of a person's life and you can see what is the root cause. Is the root cause a heart that is alive for God or is the root cause a heart 
that is dead towards God. And that's the eye-opening criteria. It's what did you do with Jesus? We're going to come back to that. Second, everlasting punishment. Everlasting punishment. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. I'm going out of order, I realize. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What is hell? Well, first of all, it's real. It really does exist. And I want to read what it's called in various places in, uh, in the Bible, mostly from the New Testament, but various places in the Bible. First of all, it's called unquenchable fire. It's called a furnace of fire, calling to mind Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? A furnace of fire. It's called a lake of fire, eternal fire. Matthew calls it outer darkness. Gloom of utter darkness forever. Chains of gloomy darkness. Damnation of hell. The place of torment. Prison. A burning place. The second death. The bottomless pit. Destruction. Corruption. Eternal punishment. That's what hell is referred to. Sometimes we have the idea that hell is the place where God is not, right? Where we're separated from God. And that's partially true. But the fact is that God is everywhere present. Only in hell, he's not pleasant, uh, present to bless. He is present only to judge. And so the only thing you get from God in hell is judgment. It's conscious. It's eternal. And it's torment. That's what hell is, and that's what, that's what the goats get here. And that is scary. And that ought to be sobering. I want that to be sobering for each of us. So here the king sat, and he assessed the hearts of the goats. And the conclusion that he made was that they were to depart into everlasting Everlasting destruction. Always being destroyed, but never completely destroyed. It's never finished. That's scary. That's horrific. And that's the bad news. I wanted to finish with eternal life. So we have eternal, or everlasting punishment or eternal punishment and then everlasting life. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he talks about the righteous going into eternal life. And that's the alternative. That's the alternative. That's what God is talking about here, is the distinction between those two. And I want us to focus this morning on what it means, what, the, what that base criterion is, and it is, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? So, I said eternity uh, in hell. I said it's eternal, right? It's conscious and it's eternal and it's torment. It's destruction and it goes on forever. And so that's going to raise red flags for some people. Wait a minute. So the punishment is eternal, even though my life is only 70 years or whatever. So is God just in damning men eternally? Well, I have just a couple of points here that I want you to write down in conclusion. First of all, our punishment is not based on the amount of time it took to sin. 
just like a thief's imprisonment will be longer than the amount of time that it took him to steal. You know, if he's a really fast thief, then his prison sentence is going to be really short, right? No, that's not the way it works. Our punishment is not based on the amount of time it took to sin, first of all. Second of all, the sins that we commit are against an infinite God, and so we deserve infinite punishment. Just as the penalty for striking a king is greater than the penalty for striking an ordinary person. So our penalty against an infinite God is infinite. It takes eternity to pay such a penalty. And it gets worse. Number three, if we lived forever, we would sin forever. And so we would keep incurring new penalties. And fourthly, Revelation 22.11 tells really bad news. It says we continue to sin in hell after we leave earth, and so we continue to incur God's wrath. We do actually continue to sin in hell. Revelation 22.11. And so eternal punishment is fitting. It's not unjust. It's not unrighteous. It is what we deserve when we sin against an infinite and infinitely holy God. I want to be clear, though, what this final judgment is about. It's based upon what did we do with Jesus? What did we do with Jesus? And so this is, this is where I'll close this. Because hell is a heavy topic. It is real, and Jesus talked about it a lot, and I want it to, I want it to carry its weight with us. I want us to feel the severity of the problem. I want us to hear what Jesus has to say about it and think about what it would mean to be separated from every blessing of God for eternity. You woke up this morning and you took a breath of air. Blessing of God. If you got to see the sunrise today, that was an exceptional blessing of God. Dawn. If you're sitting next to someone you love, or if you can uh, relate to someone near you that you love and care about, that blessing's gone. Comfort. It, the temperature's nice in here. It's great. You're sitting on a soft chair. right? There are all kinds of blessings. All kinds of blessings. And your heart keeps beating right? All of those things, every blessing of God gone. And the only thing that you experience from God in hell is judgment forever, unending judgment. And so Jesus wanted his disciples to think about that. And he, he wanted the people he was talking to, to weigh that in front of them, to think about eternity and what it means. And I want you to think about that too. Because he says that the, the distinction was what they did with Jesus. What they did with Jesus. The, the punishment that we owe, the penalty that we owe before God is eternal. And we really do owe it because we really are sinners. Every single one of us. The Old Testament tells us that. The New Testament tells us that. And your conscience tells us that. And the newspaper tells us that. We are all sinners before God. And we owe an infinite penalty. And he offers us salvation in Christ. Jesus came to this world, born in a lowly manger, was despised and rejected of men, but always obedient to the Father. Went to the cross to pay a penalty that you owe so that you would not have to end up with the goats in hell. He took your infinite penalty on himself and he bore the wrath of God. He was died. He, he was killed on the cross. He died. He was buried and he rose again on the third day that we might have life, that we might have forgiveness of sins. And he offers that to you. 
And I know there are some who wrestle with that or some who have questions. But if you will put your faith in Christ and if you will, if you will recognize before God that you really don't want to pay that penalty, you really don't want to pay that penalty and you look to Jesus and you see that He stepped in where you could not and He paid that penalty for you so that you could receive His righteousness instead of your condemnation, you put your trust in Him and say, Jesus, You are my only hope. I look to You. Then you can be transferred from the kingdom of the goats to the kingdom of the sheep. It's not a magic spell. It's not a formula. It's not words that you say, and that's why we don't lead you in the sinner's prayer. But it is a hard attitude of realizing, I am lost. I deserve judgment before God and have nothing to offer Him. Jesus, I need what you offered. I need you. If you will cling to Jesus that way, He will change your heart and you will see Him change your life and He will have changed your eternity. So if there's anyone here who who wants to talk about that, who maybe has questions or maybe objections to what I've said or whatever, I'm going to stay down here and, until people come and talk to me and uh, I would love to answer those questions and I would love to introduce you to this Jesus. I would love to answer any questions that you have. But I I desire... I desire to be transferred from the kingdom of the goats to the kingdom of the sheep. Let's pray together. Lord, this is heavy news, I confess. But your word talks about it. Your son talked about it. And so I will talk about it. Lord, I thank you that you have made clear to us what is the condition of our natural heart. You have laid that out for us simply that we can look at it and we can be uh, informed, though we don't probably really want to be informed of such a thing. But we need to know what the condition is. And I thank you that the condition is not all there is. I thank you that you gave the cure in Jesus, that we could be made right with you, that we could be rightly related with God, that we could go from being God's enemy to God's friend in Christ. Thank you that he came to pay that penalty for me. I will thank you forever for that. Lord, I pray for any here who are still questioning such a thing or not sure or want to put their faith in you. I pray, Lord, for your blessing on them and that you would draw to yourself many people, even this morning, Lord, be be glorified in our salvation. Be glorified in drawing people to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.